Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 70. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to CarsYeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at CarsYeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm really excited to introduce my special guest, Ed Barr. Ed, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready, Mark. All right. It's great to have you here. Ed Barr is an assistant professor of technology at McPherson College in McPherson, Kansas. McPherson College stands alone as the only school in the United States to provide a bachelor's degree in automotive restoration technology. Ed grew up in Tyler, Texas, and he received a B.A. from the University of South, is that Sewanee, Tennessee? Sewanee. <laughs> okay. And an M.A. from the University of Kansas. After graduate school, Ed began a career in art museum administration, and between 1999 and 2005, he served first as the assistant director and then the director of the Mulvane Art Museum in Washburn University in Topeka, Kansas. In addition to his museum duties, he taught several art history courses and museum studies in Washburn. With a passion for automobiles, he went on to earn a B.S. in automotive restoration technology from McPherson College. From there, he worked in the Vintage Restoration Limited in Union Bridge, Maryland, where he restored British cars. And then in early 2010, he joined the McPherson College facility, and he currently teaches sheet metal restoration and the history of automotive design. And I've told our listeners a little bit about you, so please take a moment and share some more about your history, your career, your interests, and of course, your passion for automobiles. All right, Mark, I'd be glad to. Uh, I I first fell in love with cars probably in about the sixth grade or so. Mm, Great. And I fell in in love with mid-50s Chevy trucks. The style of these trucks just struck a chord with me, and I didn't know anything about engines or mechanics or anything like that at that age, but I I just knew that I loved one of these vehicles, and someday I would have to have one. Well, after, I'm sure my father got tired of hearing me talk about these trucks, (laughs) which growing up in Texas, you would see from time to time really pretty often in the 80s. Oh, yeah. And, um, And I think when I was about 13, he bought for me a 1959 Chevy pickup. Oh, wow. It needed plenty of work, and uh, I can remember looking at it the first day with the hood open, and I knew something was missing, and that being the air cleaner, I now know. But at the time, you know, that's how little I knew as a 13-year-old, that normally there was this large, round object on the top of an engine, and (laughs) mine didn't have one. Yeah, that's cool. (laughs) that's where my journey began and I slowly through reading enthusiast magazines and every book I could find managed to turn that into a 
a nice drivable vehicle. I repainted it myself. I refinished the wood bed and I did the interior and dro- drove that throughout high school. Wow. Uh, once I, I, we sold that when I went to college, but I quickly inherited another car, a 67 Mustang. Even though I supposedly heading towards a, a real normal job, I couldn't get the cars out of my blood. And as I grew older, I just could never find the time or the money to really indulge that passion. I dabbled in several different things. Uh, the, the bio doesn't give you the full picture. I also uh, made sculpture, uh, metal sculpture. I went to law school for a year and a half and uh, did various other things. But once I got into museum work, I loved teaching and I loved the artifacts, being around the artifacts. I really appreciated the, the educational part of uh, sharing those with people. But again, the only time that I really got to work on my car was at night, you know, late at night on the weekend. I just kept getting older and thought, this is never going to happen. And finally, my wife made the observation that, you know, you, you clearly love this. Why don't you try to do something with cars? And uh, that was that was all the encouragement I needed. And I found out about McPherson College from someone that I worked with at this art museum in Topeka. And once I took a tour of the building, it was like the heavens opened and the <laughs> light shone down. And I, I smelled the old crankcase smell that I know uh, your audience would be familiar with. They're, you know, an old engine, when you crack it open, has this certain aroma. For some of us, you know, there's just nothing like it. Yeah. And I remember seeing these classic, to me, engines all just lined up. There was a 392 Hemi and a flathead Ford and just a bunch of different engines sitting there that were clearly being worked on by students. And I just, I looked at my wife and the look on her face was just, <laughs> oh my gosh, what have I done here? Well, the, the beast is loose. Yes, exactly. And uh, and now I'm used to seeing that look all the time on people who come through on tours, so I, I, I understand what they're doing. But what started then was the realization that you really can make a career of your passion. You really can be excited to go to work every day. After I went through the program, it took uh, it took me two years to get another bachelor's degree because I already had other degrees, and it was it was everything that I hoped I was going to be able to learn because I knew that trying to change careers in midlife was, you know, seemed impossible. I mean, how can you make up that much ground and be a, a skilled enough worker to to do well in this industry where skill is everything? And at least I had the right kind of background in um, in museum work with documentation and attention to detail and sure. being able to to use care and handling objects and things like that. And so I had some of the skills already. Um, and then when I went to a shop uh, working on British cars, it was everything that I hoped it was going to be. I can remember driving to work every morning and just thinking, "Wow, you know, this is this is it. This is." everything that I hoped working on cars was going to be. 
I loved working at the shop, and the uh, you know the customers were great. The cars were uh, they were they were always different, and um, and then I got a call from McPherson College asking me if I wanted to come back and teach. In the back of my mind, I had always hoped that maybe in eight or ten years there'll be a position and I can come back and teach. I didn't expect it to happen in three, but uh, I knew that I, I love the program and I believe wholeheartedly in what they're doing there, and I knew that I love teaching. And, uh, and so, of course, I accepted the opportunity to come back here. And since I have returned, I've, I'm only more convinced that this is exactly where I need to be and I'm doing what I need to be doing. The opportunity that I have for teaching is a, a teacher's dream come true. The, the students that I have are enthusiastic. They've come from faraway places to hear what we've got to tell them and show them so the, the audience is just right. I'm not trying to inject statistics and you know, uh, accounting and things into people who are not receptive to it. You know, it's basically, oh, you've always wanted to learn how to use the English wheel off here. Let me show you. <laughs> and so uh, that makes it fun. And then the fact that I get to engage all of the senses in what I'm doing. You get to hit stuff with hammers. Um, you get to smell metal being vaporized. You know, you get to see flat pieces of metal get turned into beautiful sweeping shapes. It's just, it's everything you could hope for in a learning environment. You know, sometimes we have students with learning disabilities and they've traditionally not done well in uh, the conventional classroom. Once they get here, they just absolutely come alive. And it is so much fun to be a part of that and to get to turn them onto cars and to help them find an outlet for their passion where school has perhaps been frustrating for them in the past here, they just thrive, and they're uh, anxious to come in outside of class so that they can practice their TIG welding or whatever. It's really just a, an unbelievable experience. You are a fortunate guy, and I'm sitting here with a big smile on my face because you are the epitome of what Car Jazz is all about, is finding a way to wrap your passion around your career. And you've done it in multiple of ways, your passion for cars and your passion for teaching. And I know that when I spoke to some of the administrators there at McPherson, everyone pointed to, oh, you got to talk to Ed. you got to talk to Ed. <laughs> He's just a great guy, enthusiastic. He's the right one. So I'm really fortunate to have you here and so happy to hear that your journey has brought you to this point in your life. It's fantastic, a great inspiration for, for our listeners. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. And this is a saying that has been instrumental in forming your life and your success and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Ed, take the wheel. Okay, well, the quotation that I have comes from my personal metal hero. Uh, this gentleman is named Faye Butler, and he lives in Massachusetts. And people who are familiar with car restoration will know exactly who he is. I think he was, he was probably the best metal shaper in the world by 1980, and he's only gotten better since then. He, he wouldn't say that. But uh, I've just, in, in observation and in having worked with him, it's just amazing what he has learned and that he will share willingly with, with people who, who want to learn. Uh, he, he said to me, uh, good craftsmen are healers, 
they protect and care for stuff. And this was just in conversation. Mm-hmm. And it, it struck me because that is exactly what we're doing when we're restoring cars. And when, uh, for example, in the shop where I worked on British cars, these uh, the customers, you could tell you would click with them. When they saw the the sparkle in your eye when you're talking about their MG, TD, or whatever, that all of these cars had a story, as most cars that get restored do. You know, they have belonged to maybe a deceased family member, and they're almost part of the family, you know, this car. And sure. uh, even though it may not make financial sense to restore an MGB or something just because the cost of the restoration might exceed the market value, that's irrelevant. It's all about the passion that these people have wrapped up in this particular vehicle. And so when they see somebody lavishing the kind of care on it that they would if they knew how, they just immediately develop a level of comfort and ease, and they're just like, oh, my gosh, you're exactly the person that we want to have working on this car. And they uh, they send you wine and fruit baskets. And, <laughs> uh, it, it was, uh, I, you know, I didn't expect any of that. Um, right. I just thought I was going to be working on old cars because that's what I love to do. But uh, this whole other side of it uh, was just a, a wonderful treat. Oh, and yeah. then as, uh, as teachers, that's what we're doing uh, as healers. We're trying to connect with these young people and allow them to have the lives that they want to have. That's what I tell them. It's, you know, I'm not here to criticize you and you know, point out how you're falling short in this or that way. It is to allow you to have the life that you want to have. And there are things out there that you don't even realize are possible. Uh, different kinds of careers, different avenues in uh, restoration or museum work or working in private collections that most of us regular people don't even know exist. And once you have gotten a little bit deeper into the industry, you're just like, oh my gosh, there are these people who take cars to these auctions or they prepare cars for Pebble Beach or they exercise cars for a private collector and just you, it really opens your eyes to what is possible. And so as the teacher, then you're better able to find out, okay, what does this student really care about? What are their skills? And then you work on those strengths. And so um, like with the, the students I mentioned earlier, the what I would call the Frank Lockhart types, probably some of your audience is familiar with that, the famous American uh, racer of the early part of, of the last century, Frank Lockhart, mm-hmm. who... You know, he, I think, was practically illiterate, but he was a phenomenal natural mechanic and could, uh, you know, modify his Miller engines to the chagrin of Harry Miller to improve <laughs> them. Uh, you know, just kind of homegrown genius. And, um, you know, we have, you know, our students are uh, certainly better prepared than he was um, through their education, but likewise, they're not all naturally bookish or anything like that. And so we find these kids who are extremely strong with their hands and they they just need an outlet and a way to make something that they can take pride in. Sure. So it's just a lot of fun to connect them with a career. So many golden nuggets there you spoke about. And one of the things that stands out in my mind is you hear this within the automotive field and the collector market 
is we're really just caretakers of these pieces of equipment, these pieces of art, these machines. They're going to live on. We will pass away or move through to different vehicles or different likes and dislikes, but the vehicles are always always there, and we are just caretakers. So you guys there at McPherson, men and women that are teaching, are really teaching these students to be these caretakers, and it's great how that's tied into that quote. I love that. Is there a moment in time, Ed, that instigated your car passion? Tell us about that pivotal moment when you really knew you were a car guy. Well, uh, it's it's hard to identify the the first moment, but I have to say that it is uh, it's reassuring or reaffirming to me that all the time things happen to me that give me goosebumps, and <laughs> that lets me know that I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. I'll give you an example uh, that I think your your audience would would understand. We have the college, various cars that have been donated that we use for projects for students to work on. And one of these is a 1929 Wayman-bodied Rolls-Royce. Wow. It is, and a Wayman body is a, a fabric body, basically. They were never very popular in the United States, although they're, they were pretty common in Europe. And it's, the condition of this car is, uh, it's pretty rough, and it's not something that I think financially it would make a lot of sense for us to restore. And so it's just kind of been sitting in storage with the other cars because we didn't know what to do with it. And in my history of automotive design class, I had them do a reading from Automobile Quarterly quarterly about uh, Wayman bodies. And then we did kind of an authentication exercise where they poured over the car with flashlights and uh, magnifying glasses, and their job was to try to authenticate whether this was truly a layman body or not. Because, and the catch was, there were certain factors that seemed to suggest, well, of course, this is a layman body. But then there were other things that suggest that maybe it wasn't. Hmm. And so, they had so much fun pouring over that car and uh, prying back behind the door panels to see how the the window uh, channel was created and everything because these are all some of the, the details outlined in the article yeah. about how to how the cars were built and to see a bunch of kids who are you know probably not one of them was older than 22 to get that excited about a car that old that looked as rough as it looks uh, just you know literally gave me goosebumps <laughs> and that kind of thing happens all the time because you know you are connecting with somebody, uh, getting them they're that excited, or you're you know channeling their excitement in, into uh, you know a productive outlet that presumably they'll be able to do something with later. Those are the kinds of things that you know keep me going every yeah. day. <laughs> what a fun project! That's great. Yeah. So Ed, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and, and crawl under the hood and, and get our hands a little dirty. Would you share with our listeners a huge challenge or even a great failure that you face in your career that really pushed you to a breaking point, and more importantly, how you overcame that and what you learned from it? Well, I would have to say something that sticks out in my mind is the the fear of feeling over my head when I graduated from school and got a job in a shop. Uh, there were Several several times there when I first began at the shop where I just felt white panic, just, oh, my gosh, 
I'm supposed to do what? I feel so over my head. And, um, and it was a, a paralyzing feeling to, to, uh, to be in that position because you're, you're asked to do something on some extremely valuable car. And when you start cutting out pieces of metal, that's very permanent and you mm. better be able to get it back. <laughs> yeah. And, um, fortunately with, uh, I took a deep breath. Uh, whispered numerous Hail Marys and, <laughs> and carefully thought back through my training. And sure enough, uh, and I always tell this the same story to the students because I think it you know it can help them down the road. Yeah. Uh, if you think back through your training, you can stream together the different projects or skills that will allow you to complete this task. You're still going to be terrified, but, uh, <laughs> you know, until you've done it, but it, but the training is there, and so I, uh, or if it's not there, you can certainly seek out, you know, a resource, a book, an expert, or something. Um, but fortunately, in, in thinking back through these projects, I was able to string together the different things that I needed to know to, to complete these projects, and fortunately, everything worked out. And, uh, you know, and there was never just a, a time where I fell flat on my face. But um, I guess I guess the lesson to take away from that is to uh, have more confidence in yourself than maybe you think you, you have a right to have. And don't be afraid to, to be self-reliant and find the answers that you need and just forge ahead. And it works in every aspect of life for sure. But that fear can really be paralyzing. And remember, my parents and everyone's probably heard this uh, F-E-A-R, false evidence assumed real. That fear is something that you almost make up in your mind. And if you just, as you said, take a step back, a breath, maybe a Hail Mary, and then uh, take those steps through your training, you can move forward and get past that fear. And then you can look back and go, what was I so worried about? But at the moment, it's a tough one to overcome. Ed, let's shift gears here and go to the whole other end of the spectrum. And maybe you already touched on this when you took that tour at McPherson. Would you share a story with us when you had a real aha moment about your career, a time when you realized that, you know what, I think this is what I really need to be doing and I'm really going to be successful at it. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, I think one moment stands out, and that would be when I, I studied with the gentleman I mentioned earlier, Faye Butler, and he presented the the fact that what I'm doing now, metal shaping, is um, can all be explained by science. You should be able to make any decision if you look at the material and understand the material. And so basically, it's the science of the material. This is something that any engineer would just be, well, of course, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but to me, uh, it had never occurred to me uh, the extent to which everything that needs, any problem that I would have in the sheet metal lab can be solved through understanding the materials. And that was, that was the epiphany. And then, um, and through studying with him, I felt comfortable enough that then I could go to books on metallurgy or any arcane uh, dark corner of, uh, of science and, <laughs> and ferret out whatever it was that I needed to know. And then being able, I felt like I could explain it to my students in a way that they would grasp it 
just because of where I am. If I were strictly in the classroom, the minute I would start talking about Martin Sight or planes of atoms or things like that, I mean, you can imagine that a 20-year-old's eyes are going to glaze over. You know, who cares? <laughs> but when uh, sometimes you can actually apply it before you even understand what's going on, and, and by that I mean if I hand them a piece of aluminum and they at first can bend it and shape it easily and then they uh, stretch it out and it becomes stiff and work hardened and then I have them anneal it and all of a sudden it's soft again. They have some context on which they can hang that information and then it'll stay with them. So it was just like, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I need. This is how (laughs) I can explain this this, this science to these kids who otherwise couldn't care less. But then once they see how it applies to what they need to do, then immediately they're interested and they're they're willing to go with me down these, you know, they, they know now when I head off down some uh, scientific explanation, they know that there is a real application that they can understand. Right. And so, uh, Something's coming yeah, down the line. Cool. Here it goes, Mr. Barr again. <laughs> yes. Down the science path. Let's have a little fun here. What was your first really special vehicle? And perhaps you could share a memory you had with that vehicle with the audience. Well, my uh, my special vehicle would have to be my pickup truck, and it was, um, I guess, doing the, the kinds, it's the same kind of memories, I suppose, that most enthusiasts have in high school of naturally modifying the engine in certain ways so that you have the, the rough idle, and, um, you know, it's faster, and you do all the things that you're not supposed to do, and uh, those nights of driving up and down Main Street with, um, you know, other teenagers and those kinds of experiences. I think that's what what a lot of us fall back on as kind of getting us into this hobby. Sure. Now, that truck was the one that your father bought you? Is that the one you're talking yeah. about? Okay. And what year was that again? A 1959. 59. Great. Now, are there any vehicles that you've sold that you really wish you could have back? I have to say no, just because I am so excited about what I'm doing that I can get excited about anything. And so, you know, I love the truck. I love other cars that I've had since then. The fact is I have so much fun going to work every day that it just doesn't matter what I, you know, what my personal project is. There's enough reward every day that, um, you know, there's something to keep me going. Well, you're a lucky guy. I know. Is there a current project you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Absolutely. There's a gentleman in California who has put together what we believe to be an original uh, Harry Miller chassis for a recreation of the 1935 Indianapolis winning car driven by Kelly Patillo. He has a an Offenhauser engine to go in it, and this car was the first year that uh, the formerly or former Miller engine was now Offenhauser. Fred Offenhauser was one of Miller's creditors, and he ended up with the, the uh, patterns and everything for Miller's engines. And so it's basically a Miller with a new name called Offenhauser. <laughs> and our students are building the body for this car. Best thing about it is how the gentleman plans to use it, and that is uh, he wants to take it to different car events and give people rides. It's a two-van car in in 35, Mm -hmm. 
And so uh, he especially wants to reach young people to get them excited about cars. And so he wants to uh, showcase student work. So he plans to only paint half the car. And so you'll have bare metal on, on one side and painted on the other side. Oh, Students wow. Will have done. Yes, all of the work. So it has, I'm all excited because there are two seats to upholster and interior panels and a tonneau cover. You know, so I'm picturing all these, I've got all these people lined up to do different projects on it yeah. uh, in addition to the metal. And it's just incredibly fun. And it, I have it situated in the metals lab right in front of this big window that opens out into the hallway so that every day there are all these people out there with their noses pressed against the glass, <laughs> you know, wanting to be a part of this. And, oh, yeah. And here we are. Oh, that sounds like a fantastic project for sure. Now, here's a funny question for you, Ed. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, I think... I would be an old farm truck. Um, <laughs> I kind of thought that might be coming. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe a little a little overweight, a little underpowered, perhaps a little decrepit, but uh, <laughs> a reliable workhorse that you know you, you look to to come through 10 times out of 10. That's, that's what I would like to do. Sure. I, love, uh, I love teaching, and um, you know, I'm never going to be rich or famous doing this, but I absolutely love doing it. When a student comes to me and tells me how great their internship went because they learned exactly what they needed to know in my uh, during my class the previous semester, it just absolutely makes my week. Well, I love uh, I love the honest way you answered that question. That's great. I really like that. I've gotten some very interesting answers from that question, and, and yours is great. So, Ed, this is a fun part of our talk. I call it the last lap. And this is where I fire off a series of questions, and you give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure. All right, here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? The best automotive advice I've received, I think, came from Faye Butler, and that was when you are trying to solve a problem, you need to eliminate the variables, seek out the experts, but listen to the idiot. And also, you want to go to the books. And so through that uh, network of information, then hopefully you can, using critical thinking, come upon the, the best answer that you can to solve your problem. <laughs> Great advice. Could you share with us one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? To always try to keep improving. That's, um, I, you know, I don't know the... the I can't gauge my own success, but I feel like I'm never satisfied and, and I'm always trying to make my classes better so that the, the students are getting the most out of whatever time they have with me. And um, I just I feel like that's the you can't lose if you're if you're always trying to get better. Sure, it's the old proverbial sharpening of the saw Kaizen, the Japanese business philosophy of continued improvement. I like that. Do you have a resource that you could share with us that you're really fond of? Perhaps a website that you visit. Well, uh, not not a website. I I would like to mention the fact that McPherson College has summer classes for people who, you know, if you have a regular career and you cannot certainly you can't drop everything just to to dive headfirst into cars. And we have people who have come back for many many years to study the different areas. And um, it's similar to the kinds of classes we offer 
full-time during the year for traditional students, but for uh, adults, you know, who have other jobs and things, it's a great way to just eliminate any fear that you have on your project. You're not comfortable with welding, not a problem. Uh, you know, soft trim, engines, whatever it is, you know, these are ways to find out how to do what you want to do, what kind of equipment that you may need or may be able to do without, and mm-hmm. uh, just to help you keep moving progress moving forward on your on your vehicle great resource is there a book that you've recently read that you could share with our listeners there is uh it's called the limit by michael cannell and it's the limit life and death on the 1961 grand prix circuit and it's the story of phil hill and wolfgang von tripp's team competition they both drove for ferrari that year during the grand prix and so it uh, gives you several years in advance of the story of Grand Prix racing during that time and about Ferrari and all of the different personalities involved. And it is just an absolutely riveting story. I mean, it's, this is better than any, uh, any movie. And, uh, and it all really happened. And it is historically accurate and just a fascinating read. It is a great book. And I had the incredible opportunity to have lunch with Phil Hill years ago. And he talked about that event during lunch with a group of us. And I was just sitting there pinching myself saying, oh, my gosh, I'm actually listening to the guy that was there. The book's incredible. And that's a, that's a great book to reference. And I'll remind all our listeners that I'll post all the links to the great resources that Ed has shared with us today at carsyeah.com slash edbar. And Ed's last name is B-A-R-R. So, Ed, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and it's something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with, and money is no object, I'm going to buy you whatever you want. What would that vehicle be, and why did you choose it? Mark, I had the same discussion with uh, two of my kids, and I, I hate to disappoint you that I cannot name a car because I, I really do love so many different cars for so many different reasons that um, I'm just too easy to please. <laughs> I can get excited about just about anything. And, you know, like with my 13-year-old, oh, 70 Chevelle LS6 454, no problem. Or my other son, oh, uh, Shelby Cobra, easy. You know, but for me, it's just I can fall for the most forlorn, bizarre stuff that I, I just can't... Uh, I can't narrow it down. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to let you off the hook here because you're not going to be my first guest that didn't answer this question. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press you a little bit here if you'll allow me. And let's try it a different direction. We're walking down the street and sitting in a window is a car. And what comes to mind? Oh, probably something with a handmade body, like a uh, Scaglietti-bodied Ferrari something like that, you know, uh, beaten out on stumps by some teenagers with big mallets. Fenders aren't the same from side to side, but who cares? It's totally cool, and, you know, that's a great car. Well, I got you close. Not quite to the exact car, but at least I got you a little close. So I won't feel too defeated today, okay? (laughs) But I want you to think about that, and someday I want you to send me an email and say, Here's the car, Mark, so that I can post it up on your show notes page, all right? All right. All right. Well, Ed, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us. It's 
late on a Friday night, and Ed has been gracious to, to call in and do this interview after a long week, first couple of weeks uh, of the new semester. Please give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset. Well, don't put off your enjoyment of your passion too long, or you're going to miss out. That's great. Yep. That's perfect. And you're a great example of that. You found found your calling, and you're doing it, and that's fantastic. I want to let our listeners know again that you can find Ed's show notes page at carsyad.com slash edbar, or just put Ed in the search box and his show notes page will pop right up. Ed, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time today and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with our listeners and for teaching the young people and some not-so-young people that go to McPherson College how to treasure and take care of these vehicles moving forward. It's a, a trade that is so important, and I just felt for so long that we're losing that in this country, and it's great to know that there's people out there like you teaching people how to work with their hands and how to preserve these vehicles for the next generation and the one after that. Until we talk again, we'll see you down the road. Thanks a lot, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!